Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Happy Monday. Welcome to Mindshifters Radio. I'm Michelle Tichet, and I'm here today with Dr. Timothy Hayes. We warmly welcome you to the show, and thank you for choosing to spend your time with us today. Today is March 7, 2016. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. If you press 1, that puts you in the queue to talk with Dr. Hayes. I encourage you to call in with your comments or questions allowing you to personally strengthen and deepen your practice. So now let's welcome Tim in the process of learning and experiencing forgiveness. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Tim. How are you? Quite well. I was, um, it's 54 here today, and I was outside doing um, a lot of outdoor chores. It was real nice, sunny outside. It was a beautiful day. What's new in your world? Well, um, anticipating you might ask me that in my drive over to the office. Um, what I've noticed since I've come back um, from the intensive in mid-February was that, um, and I always always do this like kind of review of my caseload and the types of issues that are being brought to my awareness in terms of supporting my clients with their um, process, and uh, in the last three weeks, I've had at least six. I was I was going to actually write it down and see if that was accurate, but six or more clients who've come back, returned to me from six months ago, a year ago, four years ago, it's, so, you know, to get clients coming who I work with from anywhere from six months to a year and a half, and then they complete and they move away or they transition, however the case may be, and then it's like it's sort of like a recycling in a, in a way, but because there's so many people in such a short amount of time, and it's kind of unprecedented, so I'm, it's got my attention and trying to kind of consider what, what it might reflect. I haven't really been told yet or shown yet. But I think it's fascinating because it's such a blatant pattern. Well, those things do happen. And um, I don't... I, I try to observe without trying to figure out why or what's going on because I assume it's all part of a much bigger mind than 
than my conscious logical mind. But so you um, you enjoyed your time at the intensive, or you survived your time at the intensive? How would you categorize that? Um, it's valuable in in different ways, getting to see different aspects of myself in different circumstances. And, and given that I was more sick than well the whole time I was there, you know, it seems like I was operating at a different level in terms of integrating, you know, the stuff I know and practice, but then, you know, hearing Michael lecture when I'm delirious and pain, kind of like it seems to, you know, talk to my body in a different way that, again, you're right about trying to figure it out. I, I don't know, but it just feels different or deeper or more complete. You ever, well, you ever discuss the urgency barrier? Say that again. You were breaking up. Have you, have you ever heard of a concept called the like, urgency barrier? Urgency? Urgency barrier. No. So it's like it would be like if you have this internal state of, you know, urgency, let's say to, like, get up or walk around in a situation maybe it's not appropriate. But you're, um, I guess you stay with the uncomfortableness of the urgency barrier, whatever that may be for you personally at any time, but that that process in itself allows you to, like, get a deeper look at what's what's really going on. It's kind of like maybe you know, setting up yourself to sit with what's coming up and is uncomfortable, that normally you would take action to restore homeostasis. Okay, so, so. What, what you're calling homeostasis in that instance would be comfort. Yeah, balance. So if you're if you're hungry, then you go get something to eat. And then you go back and bounce. If you need a void, you go to um, the toilet and you know restore yourself to that you know close to its balance or comfort at all levels, whatever it may be, emotionally, physically. So the urgency barrier is that like kind of invisible line where you know you take action and that. There's some value. I was just reading this article about the value in sort of withstanding the urgency barrier and then what becomes available sort of in that pain or discomfort. And I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is because when I look at the intensive, it's kind of how it was. Like, because I was in so much pain and discomfort and, you know, had to bump up against being sick in front of 12 strangers or not being able to, like, do my sickness the way I wanted to do, you know. So the urgency barrier in terms of wanting to it to be different but not really having that available. And at the same time being held in this like amazing vortex of love that we know and experience with spending time with Jamie and Michael and Ari and people who are conscious and doing the work. I mean, there's just a different level of um synergy when you're spending time with folks drawn to this work. Yeah, yeah, there is that that unique experience, and um, they're all different. Every intensive I've been to has been different. 
whether it was the nine the nine day intensives I've been to or the one five day and um they called it a long weekend. And that's one heck of a long weekend if you ask me. But anyway it is rare in my experience to find a place where there's that much love and support despite the fact that lots is going on for people lots of stuff is getting triggered so and the work we're talking about here is the ancient aramaic work of forgiveness or dismantling everything inside ourselves that doesn't belong and my thanks to Michael and Jeannie for doing this work, promoting it as tirelessly as they have for all these years. And they just returned and did two days of unpacking from their intensive and just asked us today to run the show because there's only so many hours in the day and they're just now having breakfast from today's work. So thanks to Michael and Jeannie for developing and promoting and supporting people in doing this work and these tools, which has been my experience that it's creating a better life for me. It's creating a more loving, a more relaxed life, a more creative, productive life. And not just for me, but for everybody I know who's using the tools. And because of what I know about how the world works and the ripple effect of energy, that's just making this world a better place over and over and over again. And aside from their tireless efforts in person to do these intensives and to travel and do the workshops, they also have a website that makes these tools available for free, www.whyagain.org, whyagain.org. And if you go to that website, click on the link that says Start Here or the red and white bullseye in the center of the page, it takes you to a page where you can download Chapter 24 of Michael's book and the latest version of the seven-step worksheet process, which is the core tool in this work of forgiveness. It helps me dismantle those things, thoughts, energies, emotions within me, belief systems, realities within me that are not congruent that are not in line with my true nature as the energy of love and creation. You can also also download a link to watch a 25-minute PowerPoint that describes in detail the key, the central process of the forgiveness technique or tool, which is canceling a goal and why that's important and how a goal serves a very important active process in my perception and my creating a perception and creating a reality. And then you can download, I think he says now, 16 different audio files of shows just like this one where Michael or Jeannie have stepped somebody through the forgiveness process about a specific instance, whether it's a financial concern a physical concern, a relationship issue, a negative emotional issue, an obsessive thought pattern. And in that material, with 16 hours worth of tutoring, there's more than you would ever need to learn and practice until you become an expert 
in the ancient Aramaic tool of forgiveness. And you can take from that situation whatever you'd like to make your life better. And one of the things I I heard in one of the older shows was a list of the different tools. And we haven't done that in a while, and I'm not going to go into it now, but I'll list some of the other tools. So we have the Reality Management Worksheet or Wake Up Sheet. That's the forgiveness tool itself. We have the Mind Shifter, which is what this radio show is named after and the groups are named after. We have the Three Earliest Memories of Conflict Worksheet. We've got the Codependence to Interdependence Worksheet. We've got the Mind Goal Management Sheet. We've got the chart from um, the Laws of Living or the Circle of Life and how to play it. And the list goes on. And each of these tools has as its primary purpose helping me dig into and reveal to myself that which I have been hiding from myself that I have somehow or another reached the conclusion that it's too scary or too intense or too painful or too anger-producing or too traumatic. And it's it's ideas, it's thoughts, it's energies, it's memories in my own mind-body energy system that I'm hiding from myself. And the core of this work is to get to know myself better. The core of every tool is to help me reveal to myself those things I've been hiding from myself. So I get a better, clearer picture of who I am and the energies I'm carrying around with me. And I get a better, clearer picture of what's actually happening in the world around me. I get a more accurate view of the other brilliant beings that are living in this reality with me, in this actuality with me. So we encourage you to go to the website, download the worksheet, and call in at 646-200-4169. Press 1. That will let Michelle know that you have a question or a comment. And we would love to hear your questions and your comments. Michelle, do we have anything going on on the switchboard? Anybody with a well, hand up or anything I, in the chat room? Um, chat room is quiet today, but I think Julie's with us. This would be a Monday. Good morning. Yes, Hello. good afternoon. Hello, Julie. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. I would love to hear Michelle elaborate on what she was saying um, earlier because I was thinking that that just seemed to me to be goals that were firing off. Um, <clears throat> what what uh, aspect are you referring to specifically? Well, you... Um, I don't have the exact language that you use, but you asked him a question if he ever heard about blank blank. Oh, right, right. And that's what I would like to discuss. Can you say that again? Okay, I had um, I had come upon this term urgency barrier, and it was new to me. And as it was defined, it kind of talked about 
being able to withstand the uncomfortability of whatever the urgency was to change your situation. And so I guess I assumed it was kind of like a clinical or psychological term or emotional term that I just wasn't familiar with. So it started out with, like, did you ever hear about this? So, like, if you have, then we could instantly, you know, w- relate to at least the basis of understanding as it applied to why I wanted to bring it up because of uh, his question um, about, like, how the intensive was for me. I see. And you were sick the whole time during the intensive or symptomatic? Um, yeah, on and off. I mean, might have, like, a few good hours in the afternoon and then down for the next day and then, you know, maybe sort of back and forth, not feeling completely mm-hmm. well and then just really hitting lows just cyclically the whole time. But, you know, after I, think- um, I, after I said that and, and um, Tim was sharing his intro, I actually realized that that is the point of the intensive to sort of push yourself, I think, to that uncomfortable zone where you can, like, that's the whole, I think, the mechanism for taking it to the next level, that you're you're having willingness to go through the uncomfortableness, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, and then, you know, with the space fit of love that's provided when you go to intensive is, you know, your capacity to be able to do that. Yeah, I've been to a lot of intensives, and sometimes the body does need to purge, and then sometimes it will do what you describe. Um, it sounds like you it was pretty intense for you, and I was um, I was noticing that in my past, maybe this is just my perception of some of the things that happen with you that maybe you do push yourself more than what is necessary. Maybe that's, you know, part of your behavior also. But, oh, um, I accept that's earth. a fact, Julie. Pardon me? That's a fact. I, I didn't hear you. That, that's a fact. I'm aware of that pattern, and it does show up. Okay, and so when, when... Go ahead. Well, as I, you know, um, like my awareness of that over the last couple of years... Um, you know, I'm consciously trying to, let's say, delegate more or express sooner when I get to my, like, you know, um, overwhelm point. Okay, so if I look at the word urgency barrier, it seems to me that that might be an excuse. Oh, I have, you know, an urgency barrier here, and it might be an excuse for, you know, what's really going on. Rather, you know, like we have a a culture that's always looking for some sort of victim uh, situation to give us justification to cop out. And I was just wondering if you have any thoughts about that urgency barrier being a way to cop out. No, I I think the reason my understanding of what that is is just that you're you're recognizing that that you're reached your limit of what you believe your limit is, let's say, your your ability to experience emotional pain or tolerate, you know, sitting still in meditation and that you're consciously, like, moving through that to get a level of um, enlightenment somehow, that, you're, that there's a value in that process of sitting with 
your discomfort. Okay, so I understand what you're saying. It still feels like it's an excuse, you know, for what's going on because, you know, life never gives you more than you can handle. And it's almost like you're you're throwing up the red flag and saying, you know, I can't handle anymore, I can't handle anymore. And then I would say, well, how does that look like your life? Hmm. Kim, can you um, hear what Julie's saying and explain it in, like, is this the different, you know, so Julie, okay. can hear it? So, Julie... If I'm hearing what Michelle is saying correctly, you and she are talking about basically the same thing. She's come across a term called the urgency barrier, which most people use as an excuse to walk away from their current situation, whether it's internal or external rather than sit and face it. And what Michelle is talking about is the awareness that it might be an excuse, and so rather than act on the excuse, when I reach that point where I think I can't take it anymore, I sit with what's going on, and I explore it, and I stay seated in my meditation, or I stay and do more worksheets on the issue, or I breathe into the internal discomfort rather than reaching for the next drug or activity that might relieve the tension I'm feeling in the moment. Is that what you're talking about, Michelle? You got it. Okay, that's really easy to understand now. I understand <laughs> it. Totally. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't get it from you. I couldn't hear it from you, Michelle, so I apologize, but I could hear it from Tim, so thank you very much. No, but that's what, um, you know, when he um, explained what you were saying about an excuse, I'm like, no, it's the opposite of excuse. So when he explained what you were trying to say, then I realized what you were describing, then he reiterated the part where I'm saying transcend that excuse. So it was helpful both ways. Tim, can you follow us around? <laughs> I mean, that's great that, um, like, moment in the now moment kind of example I think where you know if Julie and I didn't have you know better awareness then you just get into a disagreement or people go away frustrated or it just leads to a war because you know I would be trying to defend what I'm trying to explain and re-explaining in Michelle words and it's still not landing in Julie land and vice versa yeah, it's true when we have different backgrounds, you know, like you have a different background than I do, and, and so does Tim. And so, you know, understanding each other is, um, you know, that's part of communication, you know, and, and what the whole idea of a relationship is, the ability to be able to relate. So I'm really glad that the three of us were able to come to a, a an ability to relate here because now I have really good clarity on it. And I appreciate your patience, Michelle, and, and Tim, your wisdom. I'm chuckling at the word my wisdom because because <laughs> I just happened to hear it slightly differently and I run into the same kind of thing on a regular basis where I'm miscommunicating with someone and and unless I can break out of the cycle of saying the same thing that I just said that they didn't understand and ask them to help me understand where the disconnect is, I, I'll be as stuck as anybody else, so... 
it's a process, and um, I really one, one of the things that's happened for me recently, as I've mentioned on the show, is I'm in a book study group for the Unity Church in Woodstock, and they're they're reading the book The Eye of the Storm. And when I mentioned it to Michael, he said, oh, yeah, Gary Simons, who wrote that book, has been to a week of workshops with Michael years ago and actually asked Michael if they might use Michael's material in the curriculum that they were trying to develop at Unity Village. And so there's so much overlap. It's so consistent with the work we're doing in the Mind Shifters group. And it's all about embracing conflict and creating peace. It's all about identifying the tension that might have been going on in Julie or Michelle just now when they each tried to communicate and weren't getting connection. Identifying the inner tension in me when that happens and instead of focusing my energy on the person on the outside focus the energy on the inside and asking myself questions like, okay, what is it I'm afraid of losing here? Or what is it I think I don't have here? What is it that I feel inadequate about in this moment that's creating this inner tension? Soothing, calming, balancing myself, and then trying again at the communication. But if I keep trying at the communication from the place of being triggered or frustrated, it's not likely to yield good results. So it's wonderful if we have a third party and we can say, Fred, can you try to help me understand what Larry just said? But when we don't, this book is about the same kind of thing we promote on this show, recognizing when I'm not feeling the connection to my true nature as love and turning the focus inside, figuring out what goals I might be holding that aren't getting achieved, cancel them, and then restoring myself to that loving focus before I try to go solve the problem or clarify the communication. It's a pretty simple, easy book. I would recommend it to people if you're at all having difficulty and conflict in your life because it's very much in line with the work that Michael and Jeannie promote and that we talk about in our Mind Shifters group. It is not a step-by-step, except for the one part where they offer love, bless, do good, and pray. There's your four-step process <laughs> when you're triggered. Love, bless, do good, and pray. <laughs> So it's not as step-by-step as the seven-step worksheet process or the goal canceling, but it's valuable. So thanks for assuming that I had wisdom in the moment. (laughs) You do. (laughs) And and you handled it very diplomatically. I, I thought it was very smooth, very together. And uh, great. So I would like support in something. All right. Okay. So I was looking at the word. Um, Michael always talks about that discipline means properly taught. And I looked up the word discipline, and, you know, and some parts of it does mean properly taught. 
and some parts of it means properly punished. And if I look at, and I do have a little congestion going on, so excuse me. If I look at what Michael has been doing with me, he's been properly teaching me by, you know, teaching me tools and how to use those tools and, you know, how to nurture myself. Um, I also take a look at the word discipline, and it means that I need to actually take that word more seriously and begin to discipline myself. And what my trigger is, is that I find it so much easier for working with people that are actually doing their worksheets or doing their mind shifter or actually using the tools. But I find it more challenging working with people that just want me to do all the work. They just want me to be the intuitive one or me to, you know, guide them constantly. So my my desire for healing is, is that I can be at peace with whatever anybody chooses to do. There's just this part of me that wants to step up one and say, it's time for you to discipline yourself, you to be your disciple, you to take this work and do it. And there's another part of me that just wants to be quiet and not say anything, which is my past, you know, to be more quiet, because I was definitely under the children are seen and not heard uh, routine. I don't know how you or Michelle, you know, you work with people all the time, you get paid, you know, to do that. Maybe that's okay with you. Maybe, you know, it's okay. Well, I get paid anyway, so whatever. I don't know where your thought process is in this, but I would like to know what your thought process is. So I'm hearing several different things from you. Um, One of them sounds like this distinction between teaching and punishing from the word discipline or disciple. And 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 I'm not sure exactly what you're meaning when you say you need to discipline yourself more. Do you, are you saying there you need to find a way to punish yourself more? Yeah, I, was, I was looking at the word discipline because Michael always brings it up, and there's two ways of disciplining ourselves. There's the disciplining of ourselves by using the tools and coming to our, you know, coming to a space of love with ourselves, you know, using the tools and continuing to bring love into the situation, love into the situation, love into the situation. Then there's the discipline of which I've worked with people that um, tend to bring more punishment into the situation, more punishment and tell their story, tell their story, and so on. My issue is when. When I work with people who are willing to be dis- disciplining themselves by doing their work, it seems so much easier for me to work with them than when, and I want to encourage that, uh, you know. And then when I work with somebody who constantly wants to tell their story and constantly wants to punish themselves. And I was just wondering where you and Michelle are when you work with these people that. Um, you see that the, there's some that are just doing their work and they're just bubbling, and I mean, I'm sure you join in the bubble. And then you see some people that are just seeming to want your energy, want your energy, but aren't bubbling. Do you 
have any feelings or thoughts around that? Or do you want to just kind of go and say, hey, why don't you pick up that worksheet and use it? Okay, well, for myself, there are times when I actually fire clients. And and I, I, I say to them, I don't think I'm doing you any good, I'm benefiting you in any way, by continuing to have you come in here and pay for sessions and then not do any of the things we talk about actively in your life. And it's relatively rare after all of these years. It used to be a little bit more common when I had a lot of people that were in lower income situations and they had very uh, inexpensive insurance, et cetera, and they had lots of traumas in their lives. And I would say to them, here are the things that I think you absolutely have to do to move into a safer situation or to improve your life. And after a few sessions, if they weren't doing it and they were remaining in a dangerous situation, I would say, if you're choosing to stay in this situation, I can't be your therapist anymore. So that used to happen more often when I was dealing with people who were more actively in physical and sexual and drug abuse crisis. However, it still comes up from time to time in my practice. It actually, today, already I've had one session where I asked somebody to tell me what they thought they were getting out of benefit out of our sessions because I was concerned that nothing's changing and that we're not benefiting them. So I actually had in the back of my mind that if this person said, well, I'm, it's not really getting any better and I'm still stuck, I would recommend they find a different therapist or a different approach. So from my perspective, that's not punishing anybody. Someone might interpret that as me punishing them by saying I won't be your therapist anymore, and yet it's the most loving thing I can do to clearly identify what's actually going on. If seeing me on a weekly basis is allowing a person to think that they're in therapy and therefore things are going to get better, and at the same time they're not doing anything between sessions or applying any of the tools I know, if I keep seeing someone knowing they're not applying the tools and knowing their life isn't getting better, I believe I'm doing them a disservice. I believe I'm helping them create the hallucination that they're in a therapeutic process. And I don't think it's therapeutic to come in and just review the same kind of problems this week as the last seven weeks. Does that make any sense? Yeah, well, I really like what you said. Um, you know, when I use the word punishment, I meant that the egoic mind tends to be a bully. And so we either have somebody who's um, properly disciplining themselves using the tools or someone that keeps telling their story. And oftentimes within their story is this bully nature or this punishment of self. And so what you're saying to me is, hey, I review every time I sit down with a client 
there's no, you know, nothing illusionary happening here. If they're moving forward, I'm comfortable with that. But if they're not, I will actually be willing to dismiss it. Absolutely. I will either suggest that we we find a different set of tools and maybe I have a different set of techniques that we haven't tried with them yet, or I will recommend that they see a different therapist. Well, to me, I think that's quite authentic. And, and also, I like the idea that you didn't give them the illusion that just by you showing up in my office, we're doing healing. Things are happening. Things are changing in your life or going to change in your life because you're really letting them know you have to actively participate in your life for things to change. I like that. How about you, Michelle? Well, you? well um, I think the distinction that you guys haven't, actually labeled about discipline and the two kinds of punishment is more like punishment versus consequences. So Tim's termination of a client is a consequence for the client not actually participating in the therapy. And, you know, maybe the only, you know, if there's like a warning along the way, the client might not be blindsided, but, you know, other than that, they are making the choice not to work, and so then they experience the natural consequence of it. Because overall, Julie, I think like what your um, question is related to is being able to detach with love in the sense that, you know, I'm there to support the person even if it's like helping keep them sober for that hour or that day that if they leave my office and go, you know, binge, that I still was instrumental in supporting them for that part of the sobriety for, you know, that time period and that what they choose to do with it after that, because, you know, there might be, you know, that uh, kind of like the expression, like after the hundredth, no, there's a yes kind of thing. Like just keep continuing to be a stand for the person until they're able to be a stand for themselves. So the other thing that um, I wanted to address when you were first, sharing um, one of your challenges is related to finding your voice and you were describing the two sides of you, like one wants to be vocal and share and then the other one wants to be quiet in terms of like giving them the feedback about their um, unwillingness. And it seems like as a teacher, I didn't understand like why pointing out resistance wouldn't be comfortable as part of your teaching role. Well, I think um, I I hear what you're saying. I think that there's, you know, I'm glad that you're both sharing with what you're sharing with me because, you know, it does strengthen a different part of me. I think there's a part of me that that, um, goes along. And if I go along, then I accept it. And I know that that's inappropriate. And I just I'm to the point where I just don't want to go along anymore. I I'm not in the same position that either one of you are in, but I think I need to or I desire to just express my truth. And I also desire to be around people that are choosing, you know, to do the work. And I like what Tim said because when he senses that, hey, we're really not moving forward together and I'm doing my part. And I think that if I'm doing my part with certain people and they're not doing their part, 
then I really need to let it go. And I want to be able to do that in a loving, respectful way, not only for them, but also for myself. So that's why I was surfacing this. Well, it's important. I think it's an important set of questions for anybody who wants to view themselves as a coach or counselor or therapist. It's not necessarily an important question for everybody who wants to be a friend. I think it's a good set of questions even for a friend. I've had some friends that had that I felt it was only appropriate for me to move from the status of friend in my life to the status of acquaintance simply because they were choosing a path of what I would consider self-destructive or you know hateful or negative uh behaviors or belief systems that just weren't compatible with mine and I've done my best over the years to maintain a loving attitude toward them, to send them love, to occasionally check in with them to see how their life is going. And yet I've been very clear with myself and with my family that this person isn't someone I count a best friend because of their choices, etc., but it's a it's a very I think it's a very important set of questions for anybody who wants to consider them a, themselves a coach or a therapist or a counselor to someone because there's a powerful dynamic that gets established in that relationship and that powerful dynamic is going to have a powerful impact whether there's accountability or not and I think accountability helps us make sure that the impact is positive. Whereas if there is no accountability, if there isn't the consistency, if there isn't the clarity of communication, if there isn't the respect for both parties and what they're investing in the relationship, there is the clear potential for it to turn into a negative impact. It's going to be powerful either way. And my thought is to direct that powerful energy in a positive direction or at least increase the chances of that happening by having accountability, consistency, and respect for what both people are investing in the relationship. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, Tim. I, I have a question for both you and Michelle. Do you actually directly say to people, let's say you've taught the worksheet process, and do you actually say to people, you know, I would like you to do uh, maybe two of these a day for the next uh, 10 days until we see each other again. Have you ever made that kind of request and uh, followed up on that? Or do you make those kind of requests where you actually ask them to be active and do something specifically? Michelle, are you with us? Okay, well, assuming that she's there or 
distracted with something else, I'll answer that. Most of the time, I have, I don't do that, that specifically, but I will present a host of tools. So, for instance, today, in the session earlier that I was talking about, I specifically asked the person, are you using any of the three tools we've talked about? Consistently planning, taking deep breaths throughout the day, actually doing the EFT tapping, actually doing the reality management worksheet process. And I went into that conversation prepared to suggest to the person that they find a different therapist if they weren't able to say to me specific things they think are getting better and how it's helping them and which tools they're using and how they're finding them effective. But most of my work with people is not one-on-one coaching about the worksheet process. That happens in the group. And in the group, my commitment is to just show up and keep showing an hour of a video, holding a time for discussion, and then making a a time for someone to do a worksheet. And if nobody else wants to do one, I do one. So I'm modeling it. And in the group setting, I don't hold any requirements for people to be doing a certain number of worksheets per day or per week in between sessions because my commitment is to have the group experience. And I understand that some people will only be doing worksheets when they come into the group, and some, by their very nature, will be doing multiple worksheets during the week, and that what's more important to me in that experience is the group gathering, the group holding the space of love, and the group continuing to get educated by repetition of watching the videos. Julie, that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. Go ahead, go ahead, Michelle. Um, Tim is really weird on the switchboard. I have my phone number up twice, so um, I guess one was muted. I actually assign homework quite frequently related to the tools. And if someone is familiar with worksheets, it might be doing a worksheet as part of the session and then identifying, let's say, Hydra emotions and then using that as a homework. But more often, uh, mind shifters is a homework or usually when I'm starting new, maybe first, second, third session with a um, new client, I'll introduce um, some concepts in the session but ask them to complete the 24-minute excuse me, the 24-minute video before we meet the following week so that we can, like, springboard the conversation and kind of, like, save time maybe explaining some of the concepts so that, you know, at least, you know, what level of buy-in do they have based on their experience because, you know, everybody comes in at a different level of readiness. I've introduced things before and, you know, it's a, it's one session. They're, like, you're way too esoteric, like, I'm good. And, you know, it's a challenge to kind of, like, introduce it in a gentle way and then sort of build on their level of readiness or willingness because Kim's right. Some people just want to talk about the story. 
Right. Well, you know, that that's all really good information both from both you and Tim and I and I know that I don't have your, you know, your counseling um techniques although I do have lots of um practice you know, working with people and teaching over the years. And um, so, uh, you know, I do work towards making assignments um, also only because I think it keeps people more in integrity with um, their process and with what, you know, I'm supporting them in. Uh, And I just wanted your perception. And it sounds like both of you are very, um, of course, I'm projecting onto here, um, uh, liberal or uh, just open to, okay, we'll see how this flows. And if it looks like, you know, we're making good progress, we will, you know, stay with it. And we're also mature enough to say, you know, I don't think I'm really helping you and, you know, maybe you need to find someone else. And I, I really liked your level of integrity, Tim, when you said, you know, if it really seems like it's not working, I don't want them to be under the illusion that it is because they show up in my office. And I I really like that because it is an illusion. And I, I, I think that's just so in line with being really truly honest with your people. So I, I appreciate all the feedback, and it's given me some good insight. And um, thank you for the support. You're welcome. You know, Tim, we actually have um, another hand up, so we got 10 minutes left in the show. Okay, well, Can hold that for call? just a minute. Hold that okay. just for a minute. Let me just say to Julie, Julie, I think there's some work for you to do and worksheets around your underestimation of your value as a coach, counselor, therapist, intuitive guide, whatever. And one of the things that might help with that, along with that, is to have a consultation with somebody around the 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 rights and responsibilities in that role. You know, one of the things that happened when I got my um was in the process for the doctorate is on on a regular basis there would be classes or seminars offered and in, in postgraduate work seminars about supervision, consultation. So you've you've learned the nuts and bolts of doing the therapy, whether it's the worksheet process or the mind shifter or using your intuitive skills. But then there's a whole set of skills around managing a relationship where one person is seen as an authority or the expert or the coach or the guide or the facilitator, and one is seen as the patient or the client or the student, et cetera, or the player on the field. And so that might be beneficial to you to just get some coaching from someone about being a coach, coaching about the role of facilitator, not the nuts and bolts. You've got that down pat. You can teach all of us at different points when difficult issues arise. Your your input is platinum. It's not just golden. And yet the emotional issues about being seen in that role or having the authority or setting the limits and the practical issues around being a supervisor for someone 
or being the coach or being the therapist of someone, that might benefit you. Then you, you, you would probably be able to have a better structure in your head about what this relationship is, and then you'll be better able to handle the random issues that come up that no one can prepare you for. But you'll have a confidence going in, and you'll have done some some of the emotional work around being willing, being able to see yourself in your extreme competence, which you already have around this work. And you'll be more comfortable then in the role. Uh, thank you. That, that, that totally feels excellent. Thank you so much for the compliments. And, and I can feel that in my heart space. So I know you're speaking to me. So I really appreciate that. That that feels so on. So, and you're right. I don't have that background, and I understand that would have been part of my education. So, um, you know, thank you, thank you very much. I, I I really truly appreciate that. You touched you're, touched my heart. You're quite welcome. Okay, so Michelle, we have somebody with a hand up. Yeah, area code eight five eight. You are on the air. Yes, hi, it's Paul Rafiki. Hi, Dr. Kim. Um, I um, actually had a kind of a follow-on comment to to what was just being discussed um, from the perspective of, of a coach. Um, I do that. I've been doing that for some time. I've also been an educator and trainer for for my uh, entire career. And um, uh, so, my my take on the on the relationship, the interaction is. Um, when I'm working with people, I'm not there to to fix them or help them, you know, achieve something I think they need to achieve. I'm 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 there to primarily to ask questions, and through questioning and through you know the skill of questioning, you you basically help them uncover for themselves what it is they want to do and, and how to do it, essentially. And then there are certain processes I take them through at times when it's appropriate, and it's always in response to something they want. So it's a, to me, it's about opening up choice for them where they didn't think they had choice before. And questions are extremely powerful, you know, because it gets them to they start making decisions in their mind because they're answering the question. So they start moving in a direction, and through skilled questioning, you can move people in lots of directions. Um, and, of course, it would always be towards their benefit from what they're presenting to you because um, usually they come in with some kind of a challenge. So it's guided in that direction, but um, it's not so much dictating you need to do this, this, and this. All right. It's, it's they they say, well, what do I? You know, they actually at some point decide, well, you know, I really need to do this, so forth. So, well, I can give you some tools, some strategy, or we can go through a process to do that. So it's a very comfortable thing in that way for them, and they get to be in in charge to some extent. They get to be in control of their destiny in the session. So that's just my input. I don't know if that's helpful at all to, um, to the conversation to the people listening, but that's that's what I've learned is, uh, to me, an effective way to approach it all. Um, 
It actually works quite well in the educational setting as well. As a, as a professor, teacher, trainer, um, I ask a lot of questions because there's genius in the room, you know, and, and everyone. So, and these ideas and thoughts come out. And I always tell people, you know, there's, there's 30 minds working on this issue, and then there's my mind as well. You know, yes, I have an educated mind in this area, and there's the brilliance that's going to come out of the room, all the different perspectives. So that's on a broader scale. So I'll stop there because we're getting near the end of the time here, unless you comment. Well, thanks, Paul. It's um, it's a big part of why we say almost every show, please call in, because your comments and your questions really make this show go to depth that it can't go when it's just one person talking about what they already know. Exactly. So any uh, status to report on the development of a curriculum in this work or what stage you're in? Oh, uh, yeah, we're analyzing right now. We're in the front end of the, of the process, which is analysis to figure out what all the components are and the sequence of, of, of the outcome of the training. Kind of start at the end when you design instruction, which I do. Um, so we're we're heavy into that analysis process right now of what what the results of the training will be, and from there you back up into the, the development process. So it'll, it's going to be a while, you know, before we start producing things. But over the next several months, that will start to occur. And All right, are you using? Are you using more than just the reality management worksheet? Are you using a host of tools from Dr. Rice's work or and, and other areas, or just focusing on the reality management wake-up sheet or worksheet? Uh, no, it would be a host of tools from, from Dr. Rice's work, yes. That's the primary focus, yeah. So, Paul, what, what did you teach? Yeah. Um, I've taught, oh gosh, I currently teach graduate school statistics and um, I teach leadership and business, about five different courses in leadership. I've taught uh, everything from middle school science in my first first career and I've taught, I've done corporate trainings. Um, well, let me, training. let, let me cut you oh. off there because we're oh, down over. to a minute. Yeah. It's a long story. Thank you all for, for your participation today. Thank you, Julie. Thanks, Michelle, for being here. Thanks for the call, Paul. And uh, we Thank welcome you. everybody back all week long. And um, try the tools and come back and give us your questions. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. 
dot com. Evolving continuously.